Security is an issue we all face, but few understand the ramifications. If you have security concerns, then you're exposed to social division. How many of us realize that these concerns over security are a response to what someone else has done because of their fears for their security? There are two major responses to these security concerns. These two responses divide us into two camps and they exacerbate the issues. Security concerns exist because of the different ways that the two groups see ownership. If no one owned anything, the issue of security would not arise. This situation was the ideal that um, communists aimed for. Their vision was of a time when things were so plentiful that who owned what would be a meaningless question. What they did not understand was that to get to the point where ownership was no longer an issue is that the issue of ownership had to be dealt with. It never was. Communism collapsed because no one was willing to give up what they owned in the present for an imaginary time of abundance in the future. The response of the left has always been about denying the problem by denying the sanctity of ownership. In the socialist view, no one owns anything outright. Most of the left believes the state has the ultimate say in the dispensation of the national assets. Others just allow nature to take its course. The war of all against all. One owns what one can protect. This is basically the position of anarchists. The left never admits anyone owns anything without qualifying the statement. If our ownership of things is fictitious, the defense of it, of, of what we own, is misguided. If you want to understand how the left thinks about justice, remember, the left does not think you have a right to defend anything other than your feelings. Since we don't own anything outright, we are not in a position to defend it. It's not our problem, in other words. Conservatives want to protect what they have and believe they have a right to do this. However, guns, clubs and prisons have not proved sufficient or effective in our defense of what we own. How could we defend against the erosion of wealth through inflation when the monetary system we use was designed to inflate and erode real wealth? Think about that. The tools used by the left to freeload off the right are wielded by governments and their systems of jurisprudence. The legal system our cultures use to one degree or the other require socialist meditation to exist, let alone work. Our monetary system either inflates stealing wealth from the creators of wealth or it collapses. Conservatives need to use more 
than liberal institutions if we are to block the parasites of the left. If ever a scam has been perpetuated, it is the left's conception of security or how to provide security. The homeowner, in effect, has invited the thief in to help guard his treasure. The most obvious scam perpetuated by the left is its system of jurisprudence. Imagine, if you will, a man who has invested his savings and time in a crop of wheat. But he fears robbers will come and take what he has, so he asks his neighbors what he ought to do. In fact, he does not even have to ask them, because they are such good neighbors. They have come to him and remarked they are here to help and protect what he has. The farmer may not be able to guard his harvest from those who want to take it from him, they say. However, they, the neighbors, have a plan. They will protect his harvest for a small fee. They will appoint guards to guard his crop and judges to catch and punish anyone who threatens to steal the harvest. The first year of their protection, the neighbors only take 10% of the harvest as payment. Next year, they take 20%. In a few years, their share has gone up to 50% of the harvest, and the farmer notices his neighbors are not working, the ones protect, doing the protecting, and are doing nothing more than watching that they get their full payment, that the farmers are not uh, ripping them off from their fee. Because they've also made the offer to other farmers, the guardians and watchers of the harvest are living better than those doing the work of creating the harvest. The farmer complains to the other farmers about the perceived unfairness. So this is, the suggestion is made that perhaps the farmers ought to combine together and stop paying their neighbors for not stealing what they are getting by agreement. Upon hearing this complaint, the liberal neighbors who are doing the watching and the guarding are outraged at the greed and the selfishness of the farmers. If there were newspapers and social media sites and so on, the farmers would be demonized for permitting their neighbors to go without. The argument is often made by freeloaders that we are all in this together. How are we all in the sharing, but not the planting and reaping? That we are all on the same boat does not justify some passengers sitting idle while the rest bail and row. The argument is also made that no one ought to go hungry or without the necessities of life in a land of such plenty. The work of Paul, however, does not serve to justify Peter robbing Paul to pay John. If Peter wishes to gift John, that is one thing. If Peter wants to pay Paul to gift John, that is an entirely different thing. Authorship equals ownership is the foundation of ethics and, interestingly, of security. If ownership was eliminated, the issue of security would be eliminated and all ethical questions would be invalidated at minimum, 
we are said to own our bodies, but even this minimum condition has been abandoned by the left. Babies, it is said, do not have physical autonomy and so have no expectation of security. In effect, the fetus becomes the property of the one in possession of it. This is akin to the situation of a slave or a domesticated animal. Once we have given sovereignty to the creature, rights follow. A right is a recognition of sovereignty. The right to life is a recognition that the being has a right to his or her own existence. This becomes extended to cover the right to those things needed for life and the right to be protected from those things that threaten life. If the being has no autonomy, ethical issues do not have relevance. How can it be immoral to murder if there is no expectation of bodily autonomy or bodily sovereignty? However, if authorship defines ownership, how does the right to life extend to the conditions needed for life? In the case of the fetus, for example, the life is not created as the life of the fetus is not under the volitional control of the parents. To uncreate the fetus requires an act of violence. This demonstrates the fetus is not a creation of parents. Has the fetus the expectation of security, considering its dependency on parents? The parents did not create the life of the fetus, but must the mother maintain its life? In one sense, no. If the child dies, that is as much as a fortuitous act as was the conception. However, not being required to ensure the child lives is not the same as being free to make it impossible for the child to live. A lot of weight has been given to the baby's dependency on its mother. The level of dependency does not change much after birth, if at all. Dependency is hopefully not a factor that determines our position on a person's right to life. The sick, elderly, infirm, and those getting an, an operation are dependent on other persons for their survival. It is not difficult to understand no one ought be required to pay the costs of others. This does not hold for dependence. This right of autonomy does not exist with a condition of dependency. Dependency obligates one to the survival of the dependent, that is, if one is the caretaker of the life. The doctor does not get to allow the patient to die because the patient is dependent on the doctor. It is the achievement of maturity that ends the obligations we have to a dependent. If another being cannot sign you up to be its caretaker, the caretaker cannot unilaterally and spontaneously absolve him or herself of his or her obligations to a dependent. It is not the dependent's choice that one is or has become the caretaker. A husband cannot decide without consideration for the impact his decision has that he has no future obligation to his family. A mother cannot assert she is no longer a caretaker of her children, born or unborn. One cannot make someone a caretaker, but the caretaker cannot unilaterally absolve him or herself of his or her 
obligations to a dependent. This can be extended to the world and to the things in it. We are obligated to care for what is under our care, for what we have taken possession of. We cannot unilaterally absolve ourselves of an obligation once we have taking, taken it up. Generally speaking, it is accepted that the natural world operates as a causal system. Natural systems function according to natural law. Impacts in a causal, causal system produce predictable results. Yet, inconsistently, most people think mankind has choices or the ability to choose. Our thinking is deemed to be unconnected to any prior event despite everything else being a direct result of prior events. Our power to think and act is said to be absolute, meaning disconnected to preceding events, other than those we have chosen to respond to or consider. The billiard ball has to respond to all of the physical forces impinging upon it. We react to things in the environment we believe have the most significance. Yet our choices are constrained by logic. That is, theoretically, we pick what we choose to respond to, but we choose what will impact us. We pick the words that hurt us and the words that bring us joy. We select them. If we choose A, however, logically speaking, we cannot have B if A and B are mutually exclusive options. Choices adhere to the rules of logic. If X implies Y, then if X also Y, there are no discrete events. No event has zero impact. No present event is unconnected to the future. Every action we take changes the future in some way. When we make a choice, it remains connected to all that was done in the past, and it will have an impact on everything done in the future. Choice impacts our security. Choices that are bad reduce security, and good choices improve it. The loss of value through poor choices increases our risks and reduces our options. Just as wise choices increase wealth and reduces our exposure to risks and threats of loss. Market forces require we be accountable for the costs we create and the choices we make. Markets secure us from random and unjustified costs. However, there's still exposure to risk in a conventional market, even though we call it free. The markets we have are not free markets. They're private markets. If costs are hidden or externalized, actions are not based on information. Progress requires first and foremost solid and reliable comparative information about costs. Markets must be digital and secure if markets are to work as they ought. 
that is to give us security. The right needs to focus on securing its markets. A free market is first and foremost a secure market. If our markets are open, if our societies are open, if we have open societies, they will be corrupted and exploited in pursuit of a liberal social agenda. The right must focus on creating secure markets. Without that, we will always be subject to threats and risk, and we will not have the security we need and have a right to.